It's all very well to keep your personal finances to yourself when you're single, but what happens if you continue this habit when you're married? According to a 2020 survey by creditcard.com, financial infidelity in marriages is on the rise, with 44% of US respondents admitting they kept money secrets from their spouses. This includes hiding purchases, having a secret bank, checking or credit card account, and even taking out a loan without their spouse knowing about it. Financial infidelity can have a devastating effect on a marriage and create huge trust issues between couples. Experts say there are a few red flags to help you recognize that your partner might be keeping money secrets from you. These can include emotion-charged conversations when the topic of money is raised, finding bank or credit card statements you know nothing about, or even being removed from a joint bank account. But here's what's interesting. According to the creditcard.com survey, millennials are more likely to commit some form of financial infidelity with their partner than Gen Xs and baby boomers. So how do couples ensure they remain financially faithful? Welcome to Pocketful of Dirhams. I'm Felicity Glover, the personal finance editor at The National. Joining me today is Dr. Sanjay Tulani, the Chief Executive and Managing Director of multi-family advisory firm Goodwill World. Before we begin, don't forget to subscribe to Pocketful of Dirhams on your favourite podcasting app. Welcome to the show, Sanjay. It's an absolute pleasure to be here, Felicity. Thank you. So tell me, what exactly is financial infidelity? First of all, it's a very difficult word to define. You can get that on Google, right? So let me give you what actually happened. I wouldn't call it exactly infidelity. I would call it, should I tell my spouse everything, right? So it becomes a question of what should I and should I not tell my spouse? I would say that uh, you shouldn't be keeping secrets from your spouse. Correct. But we still keep secrets. So now we're talking about financial secrets. And some of us keep financial secrets because we think our spouse won't understand that's the problem. So in terms of our, the word infidelity, right? Uh, it's very broad. And I would like to narrow it down to financial secrets that have hurt the spouse or the family, right? So that would kind of define it a lot more better than just saying, did I keep secrets? So Sanjay, can you give me some examples of financial infidelity or financial secrets as you prefer to call them? Okay. So imagine you go and buy a new car, right? Without telling your spouse about it. We've had that happen with a lot of men, right? Where they've all of a said, you know what? I need to get a new car. And they just bring one home. And then the wife asks, why did you get a car? And he says, well, I need one. You know, my old, my, you don't know anything about cars. Let me handle this. This is not your job. Well, we need other stuff as well. Why didn't you think of that? Right? Is car the only priority? So having that kind of a conversation uh, being shut down, that's, that's definitely something that, that would come under the infidelity category. The other one is where you've taken on a loan, a personal loan, right? Or credit card debt, where it could get passed on to your spouse. Right? You might have taken on debt that your spouse is not aware of. There was actually a study that was done. Almost 90% of housewives don't know about the loans or liabilities that their husbands have. How can that be? That's just incredible, I find. Such a high number. It's a cultural thing, right? So you have to also keep two things in mind. It's about the culture. Who's the breadwinner in the house? Who's the one making the money? I know this is going to sound very from a gender inequality perspective, but let's get the real perspective in here. 
one of the topics in my PhD thesis was about where women are the breadwinners and where male uh, men are the breadwinners. And how is the difference in the way they actually manage money? And what we found out was men-led households, so where men earn the money, those houses take more risk with money than women-led households. And the other thing that we realized in the study was women tend to have breaks during their career, right? So uh, when they get pregnant, they, take, they get maternity break. It takes them a while to come back to work full time. Sometimes they might even sacrifice their career to take care of the family, right? So as much as we say we're talking about equality, women do have breaks, which men don't need to sometimes. And then we have the inequality pay as well, right? Women tend to earn lesser than men. And that's become a huge global conversation. So they earn lesser, they take lesser risks, and they have breaks. That changes the way they look at money. So are you saying that men are more likely to, to commit financial infidelity than their wives? But what you're saying is that, you know, with these breaks that women are taking from careers and things, they're stashing away money for their rainy day or for whatever it is that they want to buy. So <laughs> uh, it's very interesting. I was doing a seminar once for a group of homemakers, right? So they manage the house. And I asked them a very open question. I said, how many of you have kept money that your husbands are not aware of? And 100% of them said we, right? So this was like a focus group conversation. I said, why did you do that? And they said, well, we actually don't know how much our husbands earn. So a lot of wives don't even know how much their husbands bring home. So we don't know how much our husbands earn. The other was, we don't know whether they have any loans or liabilities that we don't know about. I mean, we don't know their businesses. So these were a group of uh, homemakers who come from business family. They said, well, we don't know about their business and we don't know what's going to happen the business if he's not there and you know we can't talk about it over dinner it's not a conversation over dinner right and i think that's what the problem is we don't have that conversation and lack of conversation is what's causing that an increase in that infidelity uh, of stacking money away keeping money away into uh, very you know buying gold for example or buying diamonds just keeping it away Absolutely. I, I think you're right there. But tell me, what's one of, what's the worst case scenario of financial infidelity? Could it be bankruptcy? Could it be, you know, um, because you're a couple, does that then make the spouse also responsible for, you know, these unknown personal loans or credit card debts and things like that? The worst case that I ever came across was, uh, there's a couple that I know of where the husband uh, took on a lot of debt, had a lot of loans, and then fled from the country. He, he just left the country, left the wife and kids over here and just disappeared. The worst thing that he did was when he got caught, he kept his wife's passport as guarantee, took his passport and left. That was a scary part, right? And now she was responsible because her passport was kept as guarantee. One of the things that does come up is where do we draw the line on personal guarantees between spouses, right? Um, and I think it's become a very important conversation that both husband and wife, whoever is working, it doesn't matter, or both of them working, not working, irrespective, they should be talking about the potential liabilities that they carry, the potential expenses that are going to come up. Uh, for example, a lot of time, husbands complain to wives saying, you didn't tell me you needed to spend this money, right? You didn't tell me, you didn't allow me to budget for it. We didn't get to take a family holiday. We didn't get to do this. We didn't get to do that. Well, you didn't tell me you wanted to do it. So it's that lack of conversation that happens. 
And that's probably one of the reasons why it's very important that communication. So uh, it's the lack of communication that's creating these liabilities that could otherwise be handled. The other thing is a lot of people don't know so when they are living in Dubai. And this happened with a friend of mine. Husband works for a very nice multinational company, etc. Unfortunately, he had a major illness and then he passed away. And when he passed away, she actually did not know anything about where his money was kept. She didn't know how much insurance they had. She didn't know how much money she had in the bank. They had a joint account. So the joint account was frozen until she could get an inheritance certificate. So there were all these questions that raise up the point that should I be hiding some money away just in case things really go bad for the family? So who's responsible for saving? Who's responsible for budgeting? And who's responsible for the expenses? So these are three very important questions because you have what we call individual income. So let's say husband and wife. The husband earns money, the wife earns money. So let's assume both husband and wife are earning money. So you have got what we call individual income and then you have joint income. So when we're looking at a family as a unit, we're considering joint income. Now out of the joint income, who is responsible for saving? Who's responsible for managing expenses? Who's responsible for earning more in case there's a higher requirement? Do you take on a second job? Do you start doing something on the side? Who's going to take on that responsibility, right? In case your expenses do go up. If you lose your job, what's your alternative? When, are, when is anyone going to have these conversations at home? Absolutely, I agree. I mean, to me, these are shared responsibilities because you're a family unit. However, that's going to be cultural. There are many cultures where it's accepted that men take on that responsibility. We are blessed that we're living in a country like the UAE where it's a melting pot for the whole world. We've got every nationality, we've got every different type of culture and we get to rub off on each other. However, we still have these cultural divides where it's a man's responsibility as well sometimes that, hey, that's my job. It's not your job to look at. Your job, take care of the house. My job, take care of the money. But did you save any? I'm not going to tell you. Because that's my job. Do, do I ask you? How do you take care of the kids? And that's a conversation that happens, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. But I do agree. Um, you know, I mean, it's not just about financial infidelity. It's these worst case scenarios, like your friend who passed away and his wife had absolutely no idea about where all the finances were, you know. And there are very good reasons why this should always why couples should always be open about money and the husband, even the cultural difference, you know, he's the breadwinner, he's taking care of all the money and things, but also he has a responsibility to ensure that his family is taken well care of if, you know, in the worst case scenario that he does pass away. So Felicity, let me ask you a question. Uh, how often should a husband update his wife on money matters? I would say every month. Every month? Okay. You see, we have, we have to start defining what could be potential best practices or rules of thumb, right? So, for example, we know that we shouldn't buy property where the rental is a lot more cheaper than my mortgage. It's a rule of thumb, right? If your rental and your mortgage payments are similar, buy a property. If your rental is a lot more cheaper than your mortgage payments, don't buy a property. It's a rule of thumb. Uh, rule of thumb, how much insurance should I buy? 10 times of annual income. It's a rule of thumb. Uh, so, all financial decisions have rules of thumb. So let's say we had to put a rule of thumb today, just as a generic conversation, right? How often should we talk about money with our family? Well, I mean, I have to say I'm a single parent 
and uh, I discuss money with my teenage daughter pretty much every day and every week, you know, depending on what is happening, what, um, you know, major purchases we'll be making. Uh, for example, we're moving apartments next week. So we've been budgeting and, you know, discussing all of this. So for me, it's very important to be open about money, particularly with my daughter and also, you know, teaching her, you know, all the things that we have to do with money and budgeting. Okay. So let me give you from a married couple perspective, right? So my wife and I, uh, we have this conversation probably once every quarter, right? And every quarter I would sit her down and I would tell her, listen, I've, I've actually made an Excel spreadsheet. So my wife is a homemaker, phenomenal support to the family, et cetera. So we live in a joint family, right? My parents live with us, my wife and I and our kids. And every quarter I would sit down with my parents and my wife and I would tell them, guys, I've made this Excel sheet so that you know exactly where what is kept just in case you need to know, right? Um, for example, it's not just about financials, but even your, your cryptocurrency wallet passwords, your social media passwords, your PIN numbers for your credit cards and your debit cards, right? All that is information that is valuable. So it's, when you say the word financial, there's value in everything. For example, I was sitting down with this one family, very interesting family uh, based out of Abu Dhabi. And the grandfather had a locker kept in Switzerland where he had a lot of paintings. No one knew about it till one day, one of the uncle mentioned, what happened to all the paintings that your granddad had? And they said, what are you talking about? And they didn't have a clue about it. Wow. And they came across $150 million worth of paintings from a conversation with a long lost uncle. Oh my goodness. That's amazing. So that just tells you how much wealth could just be hidden away because no one spoke about it. And it was a brilliant experience because it also tells you how much of liabilities could have been hidden away that you might not be aware of. There was a family that I was working with. Uh, this happened a few years ago. The wife, all of a sudden, had the bank calling her and saying, you know, your husband has a car loan with us and we found out that he's passed away and how you plan to pay off the car loan? And she said, well, I can sell the car and I can pay it to you. They said, fine, uh, you've got 30 days to get it done. And she actually had to sell off the car and that was the only car they had because she didn't have an active income to be able to continue paying for the loan. What about the credit card debt, right? So husband passed away, credit card debt gets passed on to the family who's going to pay for that. So all these small things are conversations that we need to have in the house. It's just that we don't have it. Is it infidelity? The answer is not really infidelity. I think, like I said, it's a cultural thing, right? We've accepted the fact that we've got certain roles. However, given the way we are, we are changing now, we are having this whole change in thought process with communicating with the internet and communication between, why don't we just have a WhatsApp group and talk about all the major purchases that we have? So my wife and I, we've created a, a WhatsApp group where we talk about all the major things that we want to do. Bucket list. Where do you want to retire? Do you want to retire ABC country, XYZ country, Dubai? Where do you want to retire? Where do you want to send the kids to school? That's an expensive conversation. I was speaking to this group of husbands, married men who who take care of these financial responsibilities and ask the question, I was like, how many of you made the decision of choosing the school of your child? And seven out of 10 said we had a decision, but three of them said, no, I mean, my wife made that decision. And I said, great. Did she ask you what your budget was? And they said, no, she assumed whichever school she chose, I'd pay for it. So there again is that the importance of talking to each other, communicating about money. Definitely. So you've got a PhD in behavioral finance. 
Why do you think some people don't talk about money at all? You know, is it because they want, they're trying to fix a financial issue before their spouse finds out or they've got some sort of addiction to buying things? What causes people to do this? So number one is society, right? So men are not, for example, in, in, in the subcontinent culture, the Indian subcontinent, where I come from, men are supposed to be considered responsible. So we're considered to be, we're not supposed to look vulnerable towards money. And that's not an accepted thing. So again, culture plays and society plays an important role in that. The second reason is, you know, we, we blame women for shopping, but do you realize men actually have bigger purchases than women? Yes, they would have less frequent, but bigger purchases. Women would have more frequent and smaller purchases, right? And that was a study that I realized during my PhD that it's a thought process. The small things don't matter. I like the big stuff. For women, the small things matter. I'm not too worried about the big stuff. So it's about that brainwave thought process from a psychological perspective. So when I was studying behavioral finance, the other reason that came up was the way you were brought up. So it has nothing to do with who you are. It could also be the way your family brought you up. So the value system with which you were brought up affects your financial decisions. For example, children who saw their mothers getting full control of their money end up giving full control of their money to their wives because they've seen their mother manage it so well. So they assume that all women can handle it and they would just give it to them. Houses where they saw the fathers making the financial decisions, when they grow up, they tell their wives, listen, leave that to me. My house, we've done this like that for a long time and you know we don't talk about it. So for example, in our house, my father spoke about money with me when I was five years old. And I've grown up having that conversation with my dad, talking about where I'm planning to spend money, how much I'm going to spend, what I'm spending it on. And he would actually ask me this question, really? Are you sure you want to spend it on that? I'd be like, yeah, 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 I want it. And he's like, I'm telling you, you're going to regret this. Like, no, 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 dad, I really want it. And then, yes, I do have my regrets. And then he can say, I told you so. But that's the fun conversation, right? You can have that kind of conversation. And if you see, that someone in the house is spending money in the wrong way. Uh, you can actually correct that. So everyone says money is not the key to happiness. Absolutely true. However, it allows you to experience all the things you want to experience. And if you can budget yourself properly and you can manage that very well, you will have a very happy life. You'll be able to have that conversation with your wife. When your wife says, I want to buy that handbag. Sounds great. When? Uh, when? Today. Well, I don't have the money today. Would you mind if waiting for about six months and then we get it? Why not have that kind of a conversation? Right? So instead of saying no, why don't we actually plan for it? I'm just wondering as well, um, you know, if you're not being honest about money with your spouse, with your family, whatever, you're hiding things. Um, are there any warning signs that you should look out for? Or is it, are there red flags? A few red flags that do come up is when you see things in your house or you see a behavior which is usually out of your budget. So everyone knows what your average lifestyle is, right? So all of us know exactly what we eat, how we sleep, what we spend money on. We've seen that, right? Over a period of time, over a year, two years that you've been married, you've seen that. And all of a sudden, if you see a spike, just a sudden spike for a day or two days or three days, right? you see a sudden spike in lavish behavior. Right? You purchase something that you would have otherwise not purchased. I would say it's not a red flag, but it's a conversation. You need to check, where did that money come from? Did you get a raise at the office? 
Did we hit a jackpot? You know, what happened, right? Did we win a lottery that I was not aware of? I know of so many separations, right? Between couples where it was because of gambling. It's this whole philosophy that I can find a way to become rich quickly. I'm seeing that now happening with families when it comes to cryptocurrency. So I know so many people who are going through this whole moment of what we call FOMO, fear of missing out, where they think they can become rags to riches overnight. Oh, 10,000% growth in one month, 15,000% in a year. Hey, if anyone knew how to do that, they would be doing it, right? There are more people who go from riches to rags that go from rags to riches. But we only hear the stories of the rags to riches. And that's the reality of the world. These types of, you know, this financial infidelity and, you know, taking big risks and things like that. What would you say are the first steps to changing this type of behavior? And is there anything that, you know, your spouse can do to help you as well? When we talk about financial risks, right, it talks about the concept of investment. The justification that you would get is I was investing in. I was investing in real estate. I was investing into this collectible car. I was investing into this painting. I was investing into this handbag. Uh, I was investing into these shoes. I was investing into these diamonds. So let's talk about the word investment. I think that is what the word is. That word is more, I would say, appropriate than saying uh, behavior. Risk is a portion of any investment. Any investment you do, there's a portion that is risky and there's a portion that's not risky. Any business I invest into, there's risk. But every risk gives me return. Now, the question is, how much risk am I willing to take? And this is the other study that I did when I was studying behavioral finance. Percentages are deceptive. When I say I'm ready to take a 10% risk on my capital, right? On $100, 10, 20, 30%, I don't care. But when it's a million dollars, I'm not willing to take a 10, 20, 30% risk because the quantum of money changes. The amount of money changes. So when people say, Sanjay, What's your risk-taking appetite? Is it 10%? Is it 15%? Percentages are very deceptive. I don't mind losing 50% of $100, but I can't afford to lose 50% of a million dollars. So when a family is doing these investments, I ask them this question. How much in terms of dollars are you willing to lose? Absolutely. But also I think as well, I mean, it's not just about risking, you know, the money, your investments, your life savings. It's also about potentially you know, risking your relationships with, you know, your spouse, your children, you could lose your family over, you know, the stupid mistakes that you're making, you know, by not perhaps being honest about money and communicating and things like that. You're 100% true on that. The problem is that when we talk about consequences, right, we don't think of consequences when we're making the decision. Because at that point of time, we think it was right. One of the things that I do tell spouses is, be forgiving of those mistakes so that it doesn't, mistakes that are not repeated are true mistakes. Mistakes that are repeated are decisions. There's a big difference between mistakes and decisions. So when spouses do find out about their partner making a financial mistake, have a very strong and open conversation about it so that it doesn't repeat itself. But if it does repeat itself, then you know it's not a mistake. It's a decision that that person has made. That's a behavior. And you probably might need to seek assistance to change behavior. I know some people who say, Sanjay, retail therapy helps me soothe myself. I've heard that from friends of mine. They say, Sanjay, I've had a bad day. I need retail therapy. And I was like, what's that? And they say, well, we need to go buy some new shoes, handbags, and clothes. 
I was like, great. How much are you planning to spend on it? $100, $200, million dollars. What are you spending on it? So it comes down to, we are allowed to splurge once in a while. I mean, uh, we also live in a generation that we say YOLO, right? You only live once. Uh, by the way, I want to correct everyone on this. It's not YOLO, it's YODO. You only die once. You live every day. You know, people tell me, don't die with regrets. By the way, after you're dead, you have no regrets. The problem is you will live with regrets. And we are living a very long life, guys. So it's not YOLO, it's YODO. And it's not die with regrets, it's live with regrets. Uh, so let's correct that uh, old philosophy that we have going around. Uh, I'm a millennial. And I can tell you that as a millennial, we keep talking about YOLO and FOMO. Uh, we have our acronyms and we absolutely love it. But we have got that wrong. We're going to live a very long life. And you don't want to live a long life with mistakes and regrets. So be careful of the, think about the consequences, right? Get some approval. Sometimes we want to surprise our spouses that, you know what, I did this investment and I made a lot of money with it. If it works out, yeah. You see, no one complains when you make the money. The, complaint, the consequences only happen if you lose the money. Uh, so a lot of people say, well, I could have made, right? I could have won. So why are you complaining now? If I won, would you have complained? No. I lost. That's why you're complaining. So why are you complaining if I've lost? Well, all right, you've done it once then don't do it again. Let's figure that out. Or if you want to do it the next time, why don't you talk about it and we make a decision whether we can afford to do it or not? You see, it's not that only one spouse likes to do it. It could be possible that your partner likes to do it as well. Why not bring them on into that? Absolutely. And share the responsibility. Get the approval. So both of y'all can say, hey, we made a mistake. There should not be, I told you so. The worst thing you can live with is 30 years down the line, I told you so. Absolutely. And finally, Sanjay, what are your top tips to avoid financial infidelity with your, with your family, with your wife, your husband? I think the most important thing is understanding that you've got an X amount of money every month that you have at your disposal. Your food clothing shelter is actually based on only one variable, which is your income. Your income decides the kind of food you eat. Your income decides the kind of clothes you wear. And your income decides the kind of house you live in. So your lifestyle is based only on one variable, which is income. Now, when you get that income, the question is, how are you going to allocate it? So why not have that conversation that let's find out what's everyone's bucket list. It's not just your bucket list. It's the family's bucket list. Let's find out. Somebody might want a car. Somebody might want a holiday. Somebody might just want a pen. Somebody might just want a new notebook. The kids might just want a toy. This pandemic has proved that we can be forced to retire at any time. So many people were forced to retire because they couldn't go to work. They didn't know how to work from home. And we also learned in this pandemic, it's not about how much assets you have and how much money you have. No, it's about how much income you have every month that you can spend. So instead of being asset-focused, wealth-focused, I would tell you, please start looking at income. Income should be the mantra for making sure that the family doesn't have infidelity issues. You see, once you give them an asset to your children or to your spouse, they can blow all that money away. And you have no control over it and you'll be devastated. So instead of giving them an asset, why don't I give them income every month to do whatever you like? So you know when people say, save a lot of money? No. Instead of teaching your children how to save money, teach them how to spend money. What if your spouse takes a credit card and doesn't takes out a credit card without telling you? Well, if you ever want to find that out, you can. You just go to the Emirates Credit, Etihad Credit Bureau and you'll get the report on how many credit cards a person has. 
why not talk about it, right? So why not say that, listen, let's get a credit card. We'll use the credit card like a debit card. So we know exactly what our limits are. Take a lower limit. You don't have to take the maximum limit that the credit, that the bank offers you, right? So if the bank tells you take 50,000 dirhams in limit, you probably don't need 50,000 every month. You probably need 20,000. So take 20,000. I, I know it's very exciting, right? So having a credit card with a big limit makes you feel good. Right? It's an ego thing. It has nothing to do with proper financial planning. Proper financial planning is about setting the budget, setting guidelines, and setting on what do you want to spend on. What's considered a good investment? Um, yes, we do get once in a lifetime opportunities to buy certain collectibles. But the question is, do we need to do that today? Um, so there are three words that I would leave everyone with. One is you only die once, fear of missing out. The third terminology I would leave you with is greed management. Know exactly how much you're expecting to make a return from an investment and learn to exit. So know your exits, know your entries. You know, a lot of business owners, one of the biggest mistakes they make, they know how to start a business. They don't know how to exit a business. They don't know when it's time to move out. They don't have an exit for their family. And then their families end up selling those businesses for nothing or just shutting it down. I would tell people, spend more time to understand why people have lost money rather than how people have made money. So if you know exactly why they lost, you will automatically make Maybe not 10,000%, but yes, you will still be able to manage a decent return on investment. Thank you this week to Dr. Sanjay Talani, the Chief Executive and Managing Director of multifamily advisory firm Goodwill World. If you would like advice on your personal finance issues, you can write to me at pf.thenational.ae. And remember, PF stands for personal finance. Please do subscribe to Pocketful of Dirhams on your podcasting app to receive weekly updates. And also leave us a review so we know what you think. This episode was produced by Arthur Edison, and I've been your host, Felicity Glover. <laughs>